Welcome to episode 78 of the Woman of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to talk all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer, bringing you our first Woman of Marvel, Agent Carter podcast. During a set visit a few weeks ago, I chatted with a few of the marvelous ladies working on season two. First up is the always amazing Haley Outwell. Enjoy. Welcome to the Woman of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to talk all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer. And I have the lovely Haley Atwell with us. <laughs> Hello. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> so I'm very excited to finally get you on this podcast. Mm. You know, we've seen you in action on many films. And now season two of Agent Carter. Indeed. And you're part of the Marvel family. I am. And that is amazing. Yes. I think this is my sixth year. I think I've been part of the, part of the world of Marvel. Um, and this is really my introduction to how big scale kind of commercial studios uh work in hollywood so the idea of it could have been very daunting to me as a you know british stage actress coming over and not really knowing the pressures that would be necessarily put on but i think i think it's sad to say but also wonderful that i've kind of lucked out in that i don't necessarily think it's the norm to have the experience that i've had but it's also a testament to the fact that i think marvel's a very special place to work as an actor anyway um and in my department that it's it's a very warm environment with people who are brilliant at what they do. But as a woman coming in, I have felt genderless, which is what you which is ultimately kind of what the feminist movement is about is equality It's not to make women feel superior, but it actually to make me walk in and not feel like I'm a woman, but I'm a human being. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been quite wonderful in that respect. There's been no sexist politics I've had to deal with. I've been able to just get on with my job. I've been talking to a lot of the different writers. I was on S.H.I.E.L.D. yesterday, and I'm here, and I talked to uh, Lindsay and Sue, and I've talked to Tara and Michelle before. But I think what's the most amazing thing is that all these females, writers, are not just writing Peggy as a badass woman. They're just mm. writing a badass character. Yeah. And then you just show up and do what you need to do to make Peggy amazing. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's part of their skill that they make her... They make her rounded in the sense that she's witty and that she has vulnerabilities and she has flaws. And I see someone that... Someone like Peggy is, is also being tenacious and stubborn and um, having to unfortunately fight the obstacles in the workplace uh, that were very, very befitting of the 1940s um, and still to an extent relevant today. But you see her in many different guises and you see her um, excelling at her job, coming to terms with the mistakes that she's making along the way and forming relationships, personal ones, romantic ones and women and relationships with other women as she goes along. So I feel that with the writing and, and luckily what Marvel have encouraged me to bring to it is something that's just a, a much more three-dimensional character in a very surreal universe. And Peggy has such strong, like, loud fans. Mm. Do you ever feel any pressure to sort of do, to, to prove them happy or you worry that they're going to be like, oh, no. No, I mean, well, they're also amazing. Like, having yeah. them doing the, the Asian Carter flash mob at yeah. Comic-Con was amazing. Um, well, this is one of the advantages. I mean, there are many disadvantages. One of the positive things of social media, though, is 
um, I get the chance to express and expose a different side of myself than who Peggy is. Um, and I'm a lot goofier and sillier than Peggy is. And I can be. And I, I want that to be the case. Um, just to make it Peggy more accessible, myself more accessible to fans who have supported the show. And just get a sense of the atmosphere on set that we want to create every day. I don't feel the pressure because although Peggy's kind of this upright citizen who always does the wrong thing, she's very moral and blah, blah, blah. She's not earnest and she has vulnerabilities and she probably loves a whiskey. And the, when, you, when you expose a character as being human and having flaws, it also then allows the fans to accept many sides of her as opposed to projecting a perfect image um, that has to be lived up to. And that was a very, very big thing for me as an actor and why I've gone back and done stage and in between working with on this character, I've gone and done very different things is because I don't want to get, I want, don't want to get stuck in a set of qualities as a character that people become so um, uh, close to that they can't see me in any other light. And I've definitely made no secret of the fact that I'm, I'm dissimilar to Peggy and that I have different ideas and and in many ways I look up to her and I couldn't ever be her in many situations um but that's something that I as an actor kind of make sure that I strive for which is having a career that has variety and that has different qualities that I'm able to express so that I'm not I'm not stuck in one perception that the world has of me I will say that watching you on social media is so much fun in the Mm -hmm. filming of season one all the little like Photos that you would take and post are so refreshing because you you definitely can give an aspect of what's going on on set that maybe not necessarily like the Marvel Twitter hand could mm-hmm. do. Yeah, and obviously your uh, your prank war mm-hmm. uh, uh, with your fellow cohorts mm-hmm. is is also very interesting. But what I think sitting in the middle of one of these prank wars, uh, <laughs> I think is really great is that clearly you all have fun on set. Mm. We, James actually was the one who said to me at the beginning of season one, he said, let's just have fun. Let's have as much fun as we possibly can. That's, that's appropriate for the amount of work we have to do. And because we're very comfortable in who we're playing and, and we feel that the actual script, the tone of the script allows, allows a, a lightheartedness and a tongue-in-cheek aspect and, which comes from the, the wit and the irony and the dry sense of humour that the Brits characters bring, it just also means that for us as actors, it's a joy to do. It's refreshing to do. It's not like we're bogged down with the iambic pentameter and deep, dark, psychological expressions of who these characters are. This is a genre piece, and it's an entertaining family show. And once you know, as an actor, what your genre is, what your audience is, then I think you can, you, you give it what it needs, but you don't kind of kill yourself in the process. And James and I wanted very much to have an environment on set where we know that so many members of the crew are working longer hours than we are. They're away from their homes and family for long periods of time. And that the thing that makes work a joy is when everyone is validated and acknowledged in each of their departments that they can get on with their job but also have a good time. And that's something that we realize there's, it's something to be valued, actually, that silliness and that sense of fun, because it becomes as a really necessarily release that people need in those long hours. And um, so, for example, as we are sitting here in my trailer, covered head to toe with <laughs> pictures of James Darcy. And um, this was a prank he put on for um, Halloween for me. Um, and, uh, and I have an idea up my sleeve now as to how to get him back. So I'm very happy about that. 
Um, but yeah, this is an, an example of the kind of stuff that we get up to. But we, we're kind of we know how to 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 kind of tread that line of going. Let's keep this professional. Let's not get in anyone's way. But when we have five minutes to have fun, let's make everyone laugh. It sounds very much like an amazing set to be on. Mm-hmm. I was watching earlier uh, a short little scene uh, with, I won't mention a character because it's a tease, mm-hmm. um, but it was just sort of amazing just ch- talking to the different people, the different producers and writers on set, and everyone just seems so warm and interested, mm-hmm. and especially considering like it's pretty rare that the the reporters per se get to get on set and watch any of this, which yeah. was amazing to do. And, yeah. And well, so, I've, I've learned also when you... Um, an environment like this, it makes me go, well, I wouldn't want to work in, in any other kind of environment now. And it would be, I'd be very discerning about the other roles that I take on film sets anyway that, um, that didn't promote this kind of well-being for the crew and the cast, uh, where people feel like they're on part of a company and an ensemble because it means that, for me, that's how I get my best work done because I feel safe and I feel like we're friends and that we're looking out for each other so I can actually work a bit harder and go to those places because I know I'm not going to be judged or laughed at. I'm just I'm going to be acknowledged for the work that I can do and what I can bring to it. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's been a, a wonderful learning process in that respect. I feel very grateful to Marvel that they've embraced my silliness. Yes, we love it. <laughs> Changing direction just a little bit. Um, I'm a huge history buff, which is why I love watching uh, New York City in the 1940s, and I can't wait to see L.A. Mm-hmm. in the 40s. How did you, I mean, obviously you've played this, this 1940s era character, but how did you sort of start doing research to get, in, get into the character? And, and how important is costuming mm. to you getting into this era? Yeah, um, the, for series one especially, it was important for me to do my research into what women of the 40s were doing uh, during the Second World War and just post the Second World War um, in the workplace. And it was a very... It was, a, it was a very kind of turbulent time emotionally for women because during the war, the men would go off and they were in a position for the first time ever in the workforce that they actually were needed to do things that the men had been doing. And so it gave them a real opportunity to prove what they could do and, and expand their minds and become kind of code breakers and spies themselves, which is Peggy's story. But then what happens is when the men come back from war, the women are kind of demoted again. And that's where Peggy finds herself. So a little bit of a historical research in that regard was very useful because it made me think of the psychological obstacles that Peggy would have faced and what she would have had to overcome, which really define her character and make her stoic. And and also I love this, the, the, you know, the keep calm and carry on mentality of the Second World War, which was such a big kind of quote back then. That's something that Peggy has, this this reserve, this, this absolute quintessential British... Um, let's have a cup of tea and deal with it, no matter what the situation, of just keeping, keep on going and never giving up. Um, and they're qualities that I still find filter down through the generations. My grandmother is very much a child of that time, the Second World War, and seeing the difference between how she, the values that she has now compared to the values of this generation who have not had to deal to, that, to the extent of a world war that our, you know, our forefathers and foremothers have done, then that to me is quite interesting because it, it's made her a lot stronger in a sense. And we're a generation who feel very, there's an, there's a, we're an oversharing, over-emotional generation where we all have our moments of fame with social media and a sense of self-importance. Um, but there's a, a spoiltness to it, to what we have. And also a kind of general affluenza of having too much and that creating actually a sickness of the soul um, because 
you, you're not as grateful as much or appreciate as much because you have too much and often too much of the wrong things. Um, Starting to get kind of deep and meaningful, but I feel like it's all kind of connected, really. So some, taking someone like Peggy, you strip her back to very simple values, very simple obstacles um, that are very much related to culturally and socially where women were at the time and what was happening historically. And that really, she is a manifestation of all of those things. So then when you think about the costume, the costume was such an, um, impo- I mean, it's such an extraordinary evolution of how women looked back then to how they look now. And it really is a uniform for her. Um, there's something about women of the 40s, no matter what their background was or the class that they were in, there was kind of an immaculate impression that they would, they would do the best they can. If they couldn't afford stockings, they would draw the seams up the back of their legs with eyeliner. Um, they, they looked immaculate and their hair was perfectly done, their makeup was done, and if they couldn't afford good products and they would just make do with what they could create in their own kitchens and bathrooms. Um, and that sense of, and men as well, there was an elegance to the time, which I think also reflects the, the self-respect that they had to present an appropriate version of themselves to the world as they saw it. Um, and again, very differently to nowadays where we, we're more of leggings and jeans and slob around and get dressed up for the red carpet for the rest of the time we're kind of into our Netflix and pyjama bottoms. Um, and it's just a, it's a very different time and I find every time I get into a character it's always easy to look at the differences between now and then because it highlights more of who they were and so it makes the characters a lot more visually stronger to me and stand out more and I can feel like I can define Peggy a lot more by comparing her to how women are now. I actually learned how to make hats uh, a while ago and so it was it was only when I started actually breaking down the style of hats and the era of hats and as you as people stopped wearing hats and like only you know you only see them now as more of a trendy thing it's it's really fascinating because there was like a moment that in like the turn of the century that you had to put your straw hats away yeah. and you had to pull your felts out mm. and I wonder like losing out that element I mean as much as I love making hats I'm very happy we don't have to wear them all the time mm-hmm. because there was such a regiment to it but yes yeah. it is incredibly fascinating to see almost the way that we as people function can be linked so closely to our clothes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's for someone who I didn't have a, kind of that much of an interest in fashion growing up, and I think anyone can vouch for that if they see me on an everyday basis in my own life. Um, but being in this industry, which is a very visual medium, uh, it's given me an appreciation for what it says about our culture and where we are at any given time in history of how we presented ourselves visually to the world and uh, not making an effort and and slobbing around, not wearing makeup and wearing leggings says just an important statement as a person who does dress up and and has a set uniform every day. So I think it's it's all very linked to how we see ourselves and how we want the world to see us. And it's, for me as an actor, it's definitely a way into the character. Is there a dress or costume you can tease that you love to wear for this season? I, mine, well, I'm a natural tomboy. I love anything I can move around in, lunge around in, climb a tree in. So I've got some fabulous wide-legged pants that really clinch in at the waist and these beautiful silk blouses of different colors. And the great thing about in LA is because obviously the climate's different to New York, the clothes are a lot brighter, they're a lot lighter. So I have these coral silk shirts and these beautiful uh, teals and, and um, olive greens and uh, but what's lovely is the silhouette is just so elegant and it reminds me very much of Catherine Hepburn when you see her in trousers which again for the time was 
sort of very ahead of her time and quite controversial. And Peggy's definitely of that ilk. She's someone like she's definitely a wide leg pant girl um, than she is an evening gown. Um, so they've been they've been the ones that, in terms of costume, I feel like I can be useful and practical in. And she's a very practical, forward moving, fast paced woman. So she needs things that she can chase the bad guys and kick someone in the areas that she needs to kick them in. Um, and uh, so the clothes obviously dictate how physical she can be. Is there anything you sort of tease where, you know, uh, where can we see Peggy going in season two? Um, well, there's there's some some fan, fabulous kind of um, things that are happening in episodes nine and ten, which really take the whole tone of the piece in a different way, uh, which I... I don't know if I'm, I can talk about it. I, don't, I haven't even read the script while I just hear what it is, but it involves something that's very Hollywood. It's very to do with the va va visual performance style of the big numbers of the, the 40s in, the, in, in Hollywood movies. So that's quite exciting. Um, the one thing that we will see more of is love interests and what her heart wants. Uh, she's no longer grieving Captain America, so she's been able to move on from him and... In doing so, she's a lot happier in herself. And then, of course, we've got this wonderful relationship that she started to have with Jarvis in season one. And because of the impact that relationship had on the fans and the network, Jarvis is even more prominent in her life. And in fact, I think I think this really this season re is really Jarvis's season in terms of the arc of what he goes through. And you see different sides to him, and he's pushed emotionally in, in into many corners. And there's going to be emotional moments. There's going to be moments of rage. And I think you, he comes into his own as opposed to just being the kind of the goofy, mumbling, um, uptight butler. You see his fighting spirit. And, and for that, in that respect, I think he, his arc is a lot stronger than Peggy's. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite an interesting change. And uh, it's one that we've tried to kind of get our heads around because it's, it's so different from season one. But I think it's something that the fans are going to they'll they'll embrace because we've hopefully will exceed their expectations rather than disappoint them with how different it is. Well, I'm very excited to see season two. Um, hopefully, everyone is watching Marvel's Agents Carter in January on ABC. I want to thank you for joining us. This was an amazing interview. Oh, good! I wish I could talk to you all the time, but you have to get on set. <laughs> I gotta go to work. I gotta. Uh, well, thank you for joining us. Of course, pleasure. Thank you so much. This is Marvel, your universe. Thanks again to Haley for joining us on the podcast. And do not miss the special two-hour season premiere of Marvel's Agent Carter on Tuesday, January 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern on ABC. As always, if you have questions, you can email us at womanof at marvel.com or tweet at marvel hashtag womanofmarvel. We'll be back next week with our second Agent Carter podcast with the writing team, including Tara Butters, Michelle Fasikis, Lindsay Allen, and Sue Chung. We'll check you guys later. This is Marvel, your universe.